Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I am once again honored to be here with you, dear friends. I'm so happy to be back with you all as the seminary intern for yet another semester. And I'm delighted to tell you all that since I've enrolled in preaching this semester, this will be the best sermon you've ever heard. <laughs> if it isn't, you can record it on the collection. We have a great set of texts for us this week, and I am very lucky to be preaching on them. Yes, I am saying that I feel very lucky to be preaching on the woes of Matthew. The fact of the matter is this. We just heard a very hard text. The talk of anger, divorce, and hell of fire at first was enough for me to consider writing an email to Father Kevin, sheepishly asking if I could maybe, pretty please, postpone my preaching to another week, preferably one where Jesus tells us to give to the poor or something. <laughs> I was pretty terrified at the prospect of having to preach on something that is so legalistic. Preaching on the law is often hard because we just love to latch on to the gospel, to the love of the Lord. And so I was terrified that there would be no good way for me to spend this. But before I typed out that email, I read the other text appointment for the week. And as that wild use of the Holy Spirit is ought to do, I was struck right on the head. In seminary, we maintain that preaching, just as the scripture does, must include both law and gospel. Those people who wrote the lectionary clearly know what they're doing because we have both before us and the texts really speak for themselves. I hope you were paying attention to our readings today because as much as I wish that I could just read them all again and dwell on the word with you, I'm just going to briefly go through. First and foremost, a reading from Deuteronomy. This portion of Deuteronomy is spoken by Moses to the whole audience of the people of Israel shortly before the end of his life in chapter 34. Indeed, chapters 31 and 34 are essentially just Moses saying goodbye and dying and being buried by the Lord. These last five verses of chapter 30 are Moses' finest summary of his life's work. Moses, who led, God, who led God's people out of slavery into freedom, wandered the desert with them, stopped God from destroying them in a rage numerous times, and gave them the Torah. This word, Torah, often translated as law, is a heavy one. This Torah, as we've seen, is oftentimes harsh, and like I said to you, we love to latch onto the gospel rather than the law. But I fear that we often fall into supersessionism. If you were here last week, you heard the text that preceded the gospel today in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said that we cannot throw out a single stroke of a letter from the law. But if the law is so harsh, and if God is love, then why did God say that we cannot supersede it? As we see in Deuteronomy today, what is the law of the Lord? Verse 15 says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity. 
death and adversity. Life, prosperity, this is the law of the Lord. Our psalm today is one that connects very well to the Sermon on the Mount that we've been exploring these past few Sundays. In the King James Version of the Bible, everyone's favorite translation, it translates the first line of the psalm, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. The parallel of the Beatitudes is clear. Blessed are they. But I think I prefer the NRSV version that we heard today with a little personal modification. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the Torah of the Lord. Happy are they who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart. So, let's answer the question that lit a fire in my heart. What is Torah? Torah is the Hebrew word for the first five books of the Bible, and as I've said, can often be translated as law, but as ancient words often do, it has numerous meanings. Torah can indeed be translated as law, but a more apt translation might be instructions or teaching. The Torah, which we often consider to be the law, can and often should be alternatively viewed as God's instruction manual. Hold that thought, friends. Let's turn here to Corinthians. Verse 1 reads, And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Infants in Christ. That is quite the image. St. Paul goes on to say, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? The church in Corinth is infamous for being a bit out of control. Indeed, you can hear the frustration in St. Paul's writing as he scolds the congregation for behaving like children. But is being childish necessarily a bad thing? I admit that in Corinth, St. Paul's frustrations were very justified. But are we not called children of God, infants in Christ? Our Gospel today tells us that we must always be seeking reconciliation for our fellow human beings. We must live in right relationship with others. That is the purpose of the law, my friends. The purpose of the Torah. That is the purpose of the instruction, the teaching. We are justified only by the grace of Christ. Our salvation is so far out of our hands that we play as much a role in it as we did in creating the universe. There is nothing that we can do of our own will to attain that salvation. But that is a matter of the next life. We can rest easy knowing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the next life is covered. And so we have the privilege of not worrying about it. Instead, we have to look at this life 
and how we can live best in this life, in right relationship with others. We are becoming closer to God every day that we live in right relationship with others. We are growing every day. We are still infants in Christ who need milk. As St. Paul wrote, and so we have to be taught right from wrong. Going back to Psalm 119, later in the text, the psalmist writes in verse 97, Oh, how I love your Torah. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. In the world today, we are beset by people who want to give us the answer. Go to any bookstore, find the self-help section, and you can read a library's worth of advice, philosophy, and instruction manuals for how to live this life the best way. We're terrified of what our place might be in the world, but we've been given the instruction manual not from some New York apartment residing author who writes three of these books a year, but instead from God Almighty. As a child, of course, it can often be hard to read text like this. Even understanding the different context of Jesus' day, where we see Jesus describing what happens when we fall out of love. As someone who lusts, it's hard to read when Jesus says that we must pluck out our eyes for causing us to sin. But we have to trust God. I don't think that God is capable of forgiveness of our sin. And I don't think that God said these things to punish us. Christ frees us from the worry of hell. But these harsh prescriptions of God are still, still meant to keep us in right relationship other, to live this life as best we can. Friends, the Torah, the law, is here to bring us closer to God. By the very nature of being close to God, we will be close to God's people. Those of you who have been through divorce know the pain that it can be. Those of you who have been objectified and harmed by the lust of others, know the hurt that can come from Christ calls us to remember the humanity of those who are before us, to view them as beloved children of God, who carry within them the image of the Creator. We are supposed to love God, and by extension, love our neighbor. And these are the greatest of the commandments, aren't they? Later in Matthew, Jesus tells us, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole of the Torah and the prophets. I have immensely benefited from the study of law and framing in this world. In Lutheranism, we have developed a theory about the nature of God called concurrence. This theology seeks to explain why the God of Scripture seems to 
change. I deny the notion that the God of the Old Testament was merely the God of wrath, and Jesus Christ is just the next chapter in history. Not only is this a denigrating view to our Hebrew friends, but it is a denigrating view to God Almighty, who in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, loved as strongly and passionately as we view Jesus Christ. I invite you all to think of this as a possibility for the nature of God. The idea that God has come to grow alongside humanity. And just as we seek to live in right relationship with God, God has sought in various ways to live in right relationship with us and to grow with us. God decided to never flood the earth again. God bargained with Abraham outside of Sodom. And as I mentioned earlier, listen to Moses' pleas not to destroy Israel in the wilderness for their continual turning away from God in Christ Jesus came not to abolish the Torah, but to prove to us that it is a well from which the love of God still flows. God loved us enough to refuse our sacrifices and instead became a perfect sacrifice for us, proving that we are free from the power of sin and death. But while we are still alive, we must remember that the law is not dead either. I invite you all to turn to and ponder not who God was when he was quote-unquote unwrapped, but instead to see how God's love has revealed to us in so many ways, like a parent telling the child to stop touching, has kept us healthy and safe. By way of the sacrifice for our sin, Jesus shows us that we don't have to actually pluck out our eyes, or cut off our arms, but instead allow the Holy Spirit to move through us. We need only listen to the better angels of our nature. Doing so will serve as that milk that St. Paul speaks to us as. But we are all still children, grown, unable to be righteous without the power of God. The Torah of the Lord, God's instruction manual for life, shows us a path that we can best live on in this deeply sinful world, with deeply sinful hearts, and do those two greatest commandments. Love God, love neighbor. Upon this rests the whole of the law and the prophets. Before you is set life and prosperity, death and adversity. There is dignity for everyone in the law. There is life in the law. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.